0: Luke 20 verses 20 through 26 the tribute money Luke twenty twenty through 26
1: and they watched
0: him and sent forth five which should feign themselves just then that they might take hold of his word so they might deliver him unto the good power and authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt show me a penny, whose image and superscription happened. They answered and said, Caesar. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar, and unto God the things which be God's. They could not take hold of his words before the They marveled at his answer and held their peace. This is one of the best known stories of the New Testament. The purpose of the Pharisees, according to Matthew, was to entangle him in his talk. St. Luke gives us a more specific statement, and they watched him. Sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. By this is meant the Roman governor. What was their purpose? Time and again, as they had confronted Jesus and tried to prove that he didn't really believe in God's law, that he didn't really espouse all those laws given through Moses' centuries ago. Jesus had confounded them and had strongly affirmed the law. Now they planned to use his affirmation of the law to destroy him. According to the law of God, there is only one tax that the state can exact. This is a head tax, a full tax, an equal amount for every male 20 years old and older. this tax provided for the basic function of government, the court, military protection, and that was about it. It provided for very limited government. The other tax was the tithe. Both taxes were called God's tax. And the tithe provided for the basic social functions of the social order. Education, religion, welfare, health, medicine, just about every possible social function. Now here was the Roman government. Taxing every person in Palestine in terms of a head tax. this head tax being used as well to provide religious services in Rome for emperor worship. It seemed to be a parody on God's taxing law. There were purists who said that this tax by the Romans was ungodly, illegal, that no Jew who truly believed in the law of God should pay it. Of course, they hate him, even if they said so. Now they wanted Jesus to make the same statement publicly so that they could denounce him to the Roman government and have him arrested. In every age, governments have been the same. Over and over again in history, we have seen various states and empires treat rather casually rioting against the citizenry. When you espouse that people pay no taxes, then you get into trouble. Then you are stepping on the toes of the state. Their strategy, thus, was a very subtle and a clever one, an intelligent one. We are told that the Herodians and the Pharisees were in this together, according to Matthew and Mark. The Herodians favored the Roman tax and the Herodian rule because they said this is better than a direct Roman rule. The Pharisees were normally hostile to the Herodians. But we find them together at this point, united in their opposition to Jesus Christ. The question was prefaced with fulsome flattery, master, or rabbi, teacher. We know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. They didn't think so. They wanted to set him up with flattery. Neither acceptest thou the person of any; You tell the truth, without regard to anyone. So put your husbandry down for us, but teachest the way of God truly. Now, after all this flattery comes the question:
1: Is it
0: lawful for us to give tribute? Under Caesar or no. The Greek text makes it clear that this had reference to the direct head tax required by Caesar. Very, very clearly in that tax, Rome was assuming a divine role. It was requiring religious assent to emperor worship. The coins by their inscription and their design made known the imperial philosophy Caesar as God incarnate Caesar as Savior by way of answer Jesus asked for a denarius it is translated a penny. He did not ask this of his disciples or produce it out of the disciples' treasury. He asked those who questioned him to show him a denarius. Then when they produced this from their pocket, He asked whose image and superscription happened. They answered and said. Caesar's, of course. The coin had Caesar's image on it as God. The coin proclaimed Caesar not only as God, but as Pontifex Maximus, that is, high priest. Now, very clearly, the coins were religious. Very clearly, those who used them and those who paid taxes with them were serving other gods. Which is forbidden, is it not? Thou shalt have no other gods to coine. His questioners knew this. And they knew that Jesus knew it. And so they expected him to say, well, you cannot, of course, have any part in this. Since this coin is blasphemy on both sides, proclaiming a ruler, both to be God and the great high priest. And since this tax is used, among other things, to maintain the great temple in Rome, which is the center of the cause and for worship. It is not only blasphemy, but it is forbidden. This was their expectation. This was the answer they expected. But our Lord said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar, and unto God. Things which be God. The word render can also and better be translated give back. Give back to Caesar the things which are Caesar. It is your moral duty. The same word is used by Saint Paul in Romans 13:7, when he says render or give back to all their dues tribute to whom tribute custom to, to whom custom what our Lord was saying in part was this they were living within the Roman Empire they were receiving certain things from the Roman Empire its military protection its government And however much they disliked it, it was providing the government. It was providing the coinage. It was providing the social order. Therefore, give back to Caesar his due. But the fact still remains that the two poll taxes, God's tax and Caesar's tax, stood in opposition. One was paid to the emperor and to the other to a godly state. The imperial tax provided for the daily sacrifice for the welfare of the Roman emperor. But Jesus did not affirm the Roman claim, simply the Roman power. Render. Give back to God. The early church understood the meaning of this passage and they declared quite rightly that our Lord was referring to Numbers 8.13 following and that this meant that everything belonged to God. Israel had departed from God's rule and authority and from his law and had placed itself by a sin under Roman rule and authority. They were not serving God. They were serving other gods. They were rejecting the Son of God. Therefore, Caesar was properly their God. Therefore, give back to Caesar his due. Give him the honor, the custom, the tribute, which is his due. Remember, everything belongs to God. Render, give back to God everything that is God. Obedience is due to all authorities under whom we find ourselves. Rome was now their master and had to be obeyed. But more than that, what were the implications of their and position They wanted Jesus to say and trap himself and face death, pay no taxes to a godless government. This was their secret position. They did not dare teach it. They did not dare publicly espouse it because they didn't want to be arrested. But this was their position, and this was what ultimately led to the Jewish Roman war and to the death of Israel. We can understand the issue by the wilderness temptation of our Lord. Satan had tempted our Lord to follow the way of empire that way which the politicians recommend to us today. Give the people bread and miracles. Perform all kinds of great works to enable them to walk by sight. Have cradle attention to grave security. Turn the stones into bread. economic. Cast thyself down to perform a great miracle so that people will know you have unlimited power and nothing is impossible with thee, so that no faith is necessary. They can walk by sight. They know then they have perfect security. This is the way of Caesar throughout the century, the way of the state. The world of Caesar, the world of statism seeks to create a new world without God. To give a man security, which is not from God, but from the state, without regeneration, but by acts of faith. Through the centuries, the state has exacted a heavy tax, trying to accomplish this, but gaining nothing. The answer to Caesar's way. Is not The Caesars were planning a paradise on earth. They were operating a welfare state. They were offering their citizens cradles of grave security. Not only apartment buildings constructed through public housing by the Roman emperors to provide for welfare recipients, not only food rations and wine rations, but also free services. Everything to be taken care of. Not only cradle to grave security, but the removal of all problems, paradise on earth. This was what that coin represented. Caesar God and high priest, the one who was going to usher in paradise on earth. It was wrong and it was blasphemous. Just as what Washington, Moscow, London, Paris, Berlin, and all the other capitals offer today is wrong and blasphemous. The answer to Caesar in every age is not disobedience, not a refusal to pay that tax, such as the Herodians and Pharisees wanted Jesus to say, because the final implication of such disobedience is revolution. Such disobedience is the first stage in revolution. Revolution, ultimately, is Caesar's way. The belief that man, effort by works of law or by works of armament, can remake man and the world. God's way is regeneration. And then reconstruction of all things in turn. So his answer was render, give back therefore unto teacher the things that are due Obey all due authority. This is the minor aspect of our duty, the important one. Render, give back to God what is his due. Your life, your time your first fruits your vows your sacrifices everything this is exactly the meaning that the early church drew from this passage as a matter of fact it would be easy to go to passage after passage in the apostolic fathers in which they say what our Lord said was is the God everything for life for time and all as a matter of fact Justin Martyr cited this passage and their obedience to it both parts of it as the characteristic mark of the Christian and he said in part my quote everywhere we more readily than all men endeavor ever to pay to those appointed by you the taxes both ordinary and extraordinary as we have been taught by him for at that time some came to him and asked him if one ought to pay tribute to Caesar the answer tell me whose image does this coin bear and they said Caesar and again he answered them render therefore to Caesar the things that are and as God, the things that are God. When to God alone we render worship. But in other things, we gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men. Praying that with your kingly power, you be found to possess also sound judgment. But if you pay no regard to our prayers and frank explanations, we shall suffer no loss. Since we believe or rather indeed are persuaded that every man will suffer punishment in eternal fire according to the merit received and will render account according to the power he has received from God. Christ intimated when he said, whom God has given more, of him shall more be required. Unquote. not a very happy thing for Roman governors and emperors to hear from their best taxpayers the most faithful taxpayers who said we render we give back to God the things that are God and to you too much has been given more will be required and if you fail to render to God the things that are God Eternal fires of hell awaits you. It's no wonder that the persecution abounded and broke fell. What is due to Caesar is due to him only, said the church fathers, by God's providence, purpose, and counsel. Is due to God, but all men owe Him is everything. Therefore, in this blessed season especially, we should ever be mindful that it is our duty, according to our law, to be back, to render unto God the saints that are God. He having created us. And through Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, having redeemed us, is doubly our God, and has total faith on all of us, and all our possessions. Let us therefore be wise stewards of the things which are God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we gather together to render back unto thee the things which are Thine. So our Father, we commit ourselves afresh unto thee. Our substance, our hopes, our joys, our hearts. Use us mightily, O Lord, in thy service. And make us ever mindful, to our Father that the very hairs of our head rock are not only numbered by Thee, but our Son. And Thou, having redeemed us, will do yet more and care for us. O Lord our God, how great Thou art. We praise Thee. In Jesus' name. Are there any questions now, first of all, with regard to our lesson. The Retired then and throughout the Christian centuries, until fairly recently, went for a number of things. It could go in part to the temple and the synagogue. It could go to the school. It could go also for hospitals to any number of a variety of things that provided the basic social functions of society. So that, through the centuries, the tithe covered the basic social functions of society. Yes, a good question. This varies from place to place. In Virginia, you had to pay the tithe to a tithing man, a state officer, who then allotted it. So the state collected it, but the state did not use it. Now, in Virginia, up until uh, well into the uh, War of Independence, the only taxes you had were the pet tax and the tax during the War of Independence, they passed some special emergency taxes to support the war. These emergency taxes were necessitated because they went on to pay for money and debauched their currency. Those taxes became permanent, unfortunately, as war taxes tend to be some. But in Virginia, until late in the War of Independence, the only taxes were in terms of the Bible. Yes. Look, the uh, full tax it's virtually gone now, but as it existed until recently, it had declined until it was only a tax for all those who voted, and it was next to nothing. It was something like $3 or $5, $10, a few cases, very minor tax, which you paid when you registered to vote. So, the full fact had become nothing what it originally was. Yes. think so. I believe they were all abolished recently by the federal government, but they were all remnants of the old biblical tax. Nevada was one of the states that still had the full tax. Yes, Yes, the implications of this that, uh, uh, well, usually the way it is interpreted today is that this has reference to the church and state. The two are separate, and you give to the state the things that belong to the state, and to the church the things that belong to the church. But uh, that's a very limited and not an accurate meaning. Yes. We are what? To be a tax flesher. Mm-hmm. Your choice then is either to, you have to sometimes choose between the lesser of two evil. We cannot be revolutionary. And the implication of disobedience at that point would be ultimately revolution, Only if the state commands us to disavow God, Can we uh, stand up then? Yes. (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. When the state commands against God's law with respect to our property. The resistance we make must be legal resistance. Legal resistance. That is, using the course of our as possible. But only when the state commands with respect to our person and to our worship, we have the right to debate. Let me illustrate. If the state tomorrow said you could not worship God or present the Bible, or call yourself a Christian, you would have to resist them there. Or if the state, and this has actually happened, commands that you, uh, commit immorality. In one case, with the Persian Empire, under the rule of Mazda and his communist order, they actually commanded, the, uh, one country that everyone submits, and it is that, because this is a ritual of Nazareth. And they resisted. They were then justified under God, because here was a command that it affected their person, their faith, their morality. But when it affects our property, our resistance should be legal and through the course of law. Mm-hmm. Yes, but they were not resisting the government, they were defending their government. Different. In that case, it was a foreign government making claims on them. You see, each one of the colonies was an independent government. Each of them had, as its king, the same king that the English had, so that King George III was king of England, king of Scotland, Wales, Ireland. New York, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and so on. Now, their obedience to him was as King of Virginia. What the King of England did was to conspire with Parliament to destroy the government of the separate colonies and turn it over to Parliament. So that when Parliament tried to legislate, it was an alien country. It was as if, say, the Soviet Union today said, we are going to abolish the California legislature, replace the governor, and change your law. You would not be disobeying the law then, would you? If you resisted then. You would be Standing in faithfulness to your laws, so Patrick Henry and George Mason and George Washington were standing in faithfulness to the laws of their country. And the Declaration of Independence is a bill of indictment against King George III for violating the charter, for unconstitutional activities, and conspiracy to harm. So, you see, they were defending themselves against an outside invader, and it was not revolution. Our time is just about up. I'd like to share a few things with you of interest. One from this morning's paper, an article, which is the second time we've had articles like this this week a week these days. I'll just read a portion of it the heading Erotica held no key in sex offense. New York, exposure to pornography during adolescence had little effect on persons who later became rapists and child molesters. Reports a study conducted by the President's Commission on Obscenity and Pornography. And so on. The gist of it is that Supposedly, a great deal of research, and some of it is published in the current issue of Psychology Today, proves that there is no connection between pornography and sexual crime. Now, it's very interesting that the press has had this twice this week and once a week for a month or two. The President's Commission on Obscenity and Pornography produced all kinds of so-called evidence that this was true. The report was not accepted by a President Nicholson. A minority in the committee protested the hearing. Police chiefs and criminologists across the country protested the hearing. Why? The whole thing was Fraudulent and fact from the beginning. They refused to hear any police experts or criminologists or authorities who demonstrated conclusively that there was a connection between pornography and crime, a very, very marked, a very high relationship. Instead, they went to all kinds of off-meet organizations that had an action to bribe that were out to champion pornography and to prove that it was innocent. Now, we are not being told anything about all these other reports that are available across the country from any police department of any size, from criminology from sociology. Instead, we are given doses of propaganda from this report that the president refused to accept, which was demonstrated to be fraudulent, and every few days it appears as though it were news of some proven fact. This is the kind of news we're subjected to these days. Then, Tuesday, December 8, 1970, this account of a trial in New York. A Brooklyn man who allegedly passed a bank teller a note reading, Give me all the money you have, was acquitted Monday of attempted robbery on the ground he had not priced the seller enough. Clearly, he was the man who tried to hold up the bank. The teller passed the note on to somebody else to read and they tripped an alarm and the man left and walked right into the hands of the police. He admitted he was the one at that time, but when it came to court, the judge freed him on that ground. The discussed this matter some time ago when we dealt with the fact that today not the act of the mind increasingly is the thing in the court. Criminal intent, whether a person is killed or not, what was going on in the mind of the killer the count today. Now it's gone so far that if you don't scare a killer when you're robbing them you're not guilty. Then this an interview with Dr. William Albrecht. In case you don't know who Dr. Albrecht is, he is the greatest living soil scientist. And while he is an evolutionist, and we can't agree with him there, his writings in this area are the most important work done in the past two generations. This is the interview. The destruction of the soil by man's increasing use of chemical fertilizers is moving the U.S. and the rest of the world towards disastrous famine, warns the noted biologist. We won't learn our lesson until many people are eliminated, Dr. William A. Albrecht said during an interview with the National newspaper. We'll never learn our lesson in time to save ourselves. The 81-year-old scientist who taught at the University of Missouri for 50 years and headed its soil Soils Department, is now active as a writer and lecturer. Agriculture is creative, but man has messed up its potentialities, he said, adding that the death of the soil was slow when we used horses for power because a certain amount of manure was returned to the earth. Now that we're using artificial fertilizers such as ammonium sulfate, we're killing the soil faster. Man has been plundering the soil to such an extent. That he is destroying its fertility as a result of protein in our grain crops is rapidly diminishing, doctor Albrecht said. As a case point, he noted the average protein content of wheat grown in western Texas in nineteen forty ranged from sixteen to nineteen percent. In nineteen sixty eight it ranged from eleven to thirteen percent. Dr. Albrecht said protein content is a key factor in measuring the quality of grain crops. The soil expert emphasized you've got to have fertile soil to grow healthy plants. Only healthy plants can provide proper feed for animals, and only healthy animals can provide meat to sustain man. But our crops are getting so weak that they will eat to survive. Even in the mid-U.S., very few farms will have half of their virgin fertility. Dr. Albrecht ties in this cloth with ill health. If you're not nourished properly, you won't survive. He said that's why sickness is increasing. Dr. Albrecht predicted that soil fertility will decrease to the point where many farmers will fail economically. This, he said, will be accompanied by an epidemic of sickness and disease. Due to poor nutrition. Then, finally, very briefly, a report on our Christmas festival. Last year, we took in a little better than 1400 for our publication fund. I was in error when I told some of you we took in about 1700 last year. It was $1,446. This year, we return to not all in it yet, but it is in excess of 1700 and may reach $1,800, for which we have to be thankful to God and to all of you who worked so faithfully to help us. Make it a successful festival. Let us bow our heads now for the benediction. Now go and peace. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit bless you and keep you, guide and protect you to this day and all